From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Hello and welcome to Weekends with me. That's Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio. Look, I really hope that you're enjoying the new program here on weekends. We are certainly endeavouring to bring you new and interesting topics, subjects, authors, filmmakers, people who have got extraordinary stories to tell, whether they have lived them or are living them right now. And I trust that you enjoyed yesterday's show. Goodness me, I had such a great time yesterday with the various different guests that we had exploring completely different topics, and I will continue to do that on this show and again today for you. Let me tell you what's actually coming up on the show today. In the second hour, I've got a brand new guest, Dr. John McSwinney, who comes from Victoria in Australia, and he will join me to discuss his new book called Heart Unbound. It's a beautifully crafted book and program to reignite your life through heart connection. It's a whole new way to shed the inner part of your body that is holding you back, the scars that make us feel like we can't change anything. Well, John's going to be here to tell you that you can and he's going to be able to provide a program for you to do that immediately. And in hour three, we're going to have Billy Tikahika from New Zealand rejoin us to tell us all about the work he's doing as the lead investigator for the New Zealand COVID Citizens Inquiry. With 204 terms of reference, I'll be able to give you the details where you can download for free that document so that you can show what is going on with the citizens and how they are running rings around authority who have barely no interest in working out the origins of COVID and, of course, how the solution seems to be worse than the problem. With so many details coming up now, and now we learn that the Red Cross is now asking people who have taken the jab to wait two weeks or call in before they go to donate money. Why two weeks and why now and what is coming up? We'll talk about that and a whole bunch of other things. And also to bring up the news that Donald Trump today defeated Nikki Haley in South Carolina, some 61 to 39% in that primary event there which almost secures him the obviousness that he's going to be the Republican candidate. And Nikki Haley, as many might know, was the governor of South Carolina and she couldn't hold that state. And yet she persists in hanging in there, almost white-anting the system and just being one of those hangers-ons that looks like she's representing the globalist interests rather than the interests of the people who are supporting the Republicans, which is anything but pro-establishment. Enough is enough. Also, may have seen video that's circulating where Javier Malay, the president of Argentina, met with President Trump at CPAC at the meeting there in uh, scenes behind the stage. Malay was almost like a happy boy in greeting the former president. It was something truly to behold where you realise that the people power is at last saying that we reject the systems that are in place at the moment. So that was interesting news that we've seen right now. The momentum is gathering, but something very different now, we are going to go behind the scenes in a different world, this time into the prison system in the United States, particularly concerning women. My first guest for today's show is Tess Korth. She worked at FCI Dublin, California for 25 years. FCI, if you don't know, stands for Federal Correctional Institution. She started back in 1997 as a correctional officer, and her assignments over that quarter of a century included unit secretary, 
case manager, re-entry affairs coordinator and unit manager. During those assignments, she had voluntary collateral duties of disciplinary hearing officer, planning section leader, with uh, which is a crisis management team, affirmative employment and diversity co-chair and previous program manager. She's been on various committees, trained incoming staff and volunteers, as well as current staff and volunteers on an annual basis. She even received the Director's National Award for Innovative Reentry Programming developed for females and their children and was featured in a Bureau of Prisons periodical called Here and Now. All the hard work she has done and received for decades meant nothing for what it was that she was trained to do because in less than a year, her loyalty to an agency that she owed her career to turned on her and taught her a hard lesson that retaliation is real no matter who you are. She recently appeared on 60 Minutes and I'm going to introduce you right now, Tess Corth. Welcome to Weekends. Thank you very much. What Thank are you? you. Thank you. What a, a thrill to have you on the show, Tess. You have put your life's work in so many different areas. It seems like there cannot be too many people, too many people working in the women's prison system with the credentials that you have. I mean, you seem to have seen it all. Tell us, how was it that you chose to go down this career path and decide to become a correctional officer almost a lifetime ago? You know, I think I kind of fell into it uh, when I was in high school. I wanted to own like a luxury chain of hotels. I went to school, started college doing hotel and restaurant management. And then I guess through like some chain of events that were not all that great, I got interested in the criminal justice system. And so I ended up getting a bachelor's in that. And then, um, I heard that the Bureau of Prisons was hiring. They just started hiring females in Leavenworth and they offered me a job there. And I'm like, Ugh, no, mm. thanks. You know, I've heard all the stories of Leavenworth. Ugh. And then um, FCI Dublin's like, it was like 20 minutes from my house. So I put in for that and I heard it was like, get your foot in the door be a correctional officer. You know, once you get your foot in the door for federal government jobs, you can do anything, you know, go be in the DEA or the ATF or, you know, anything, get federal law enforcement. It's a stepping stone in the BOP. Don't stay there. And so I was correctional officer. And at that time, everybody started as a correctional officer. I mean, you did not get a job at the Bureau of Prisons as anything else except for a correctional officer and you had to work your way up. Now it's different, but um, that's how you got in. You started at $32,000 an hour <laughs> as a correctional a officer. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, so, so so it's it's almost peanuts, and you've gone into this system. Now you know that there that once you get in the system, though, that there must be opportunities starting out. How long was oh, the yeah. how long was the training though to uh, to be prepared that you were now allowed to be technically in charge of a whole lot of people? The there's training at the institution that is two weeks long. The training is not good at all. I mean, a lot of it is just sitting around waiting for the staff that work there to come and train you on stuff, which most of it is them telling you stories about, you know, oh, back in the olden days and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and how terrible the place is and don't trust that person. And it's terrible training. And then that's how it was back then. And pretty much it's still like that. And um, then they give you keys and tell you to go run a unit. That's that's how they did it. Go run the housing units. Go be the art officer. And then um, several months later, they send you to Georgia to do the two two weeks federal law enforcement training uh, training center. They call it Fletsy, and you do more extensive training. You have to qualify for self defense, the uh, firearms training because. There's three three firearms we have to qualify every year on. Um, and just like scenarios, stuff like that. There's hostage situations and it's fun. That's fun. But um, I mean, it's not that much training. Basically, you learn as you go. And hopefully there, there's officers. So quite incredible, isn't it? That um, this is a, a big deal. It's a lot of a huge amount of responsibility. An incredible amount of things could mm -hmm. go wrong. Do the yes. do the prisoners know, for example, how limited the training is? Is that oh. something? That, because the, you would have to think that there is this whole pile of manipulation and scheming going on there, just because in the oh, daily yeah. grind of survival. So how did that work out? How do they react to a new corrections officer? Uh, they try to manipulate them. They they know everything. They have all day, all night, every day to sit there and watch everybody. They know everything. So yeah, they know when the new officers start. Usually they're nice and crispy clean. You know, they have their new uniforms and they're dressed right and they try to follow the rules and and yeah, they they know. And so a lot of times the inmates will tell the new officers, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. It's it's 3.30. We're supposed to clear the unit because count's at four. And so a lot of times the inmates are training the new officers too. So it's that's interesting. It certainly is interesting mm -hmm. be, be, because you, you're thrust into it. Uh, as you revealed, mm -hmm. the starting salary is not particularly attractive. How long is oh, it? Well, that was, don't forget, that was when I started, but it's okay. still very low. It's, sure. still, it's still really low. So how long is it before, I mean, obviously you're on shift and I assume that you're working around a, a rotational roster around the clock. How long is it before an opportunity comes up and you realize that you're going to go for this and, and and advance in the cause, knowing that you're obviously making a difference, that you are, uh, this is the, this is now your chosen career path. For example, how long was it before you go, I'm, I'm staying here, I, I think I can make a difference? Um. I had to actually leave the Bureau of Prisons. I, when I was an officer, I wanted to be a case manager. And that was what I wanted to be. And then I realized no matter how qualified I was, it, it depended on who the warden wanted. It didn't, it didn't matter on qualifications. It was who their friends were or who somebody wanted to bring in from another institution. It, it didn't matter qualifications or who is best qualified. And that is always the problem. That's still the problem. And so I, I quit 
I was gone for 10 months. I went and became a deputy probation officer, which I loved, but the pay was too bad. They were having, um, they were having conflict over a union contract. So I didn't want to deal with that. So I called back the prison and because I was such a good officer, the captain said, um, yeah, come back. We won't even make you go through the whole rehiring process. We'll just say that you were like on a leave of absence or something. And they put me as a secretary, a unit secretary, so I can learn all the case management stuff and pretty much do it, help the case managers. And so when the next opening for case manager came up, the warden just kind of slid me in there because the warden, you know, I was like not friends, but I got along with everyone. So I got the case manager job after that. So it's interesting, then, isn't it? You know, just, mm-hmm. just because you, you put your heart and soul into it, you can't advance. So you have to leave the system. Mm-hmm. And then 10 months yeah. later, they're, they're, they're begging you to come back. It's, it's a strange phenomenon about getting a job that you can do more for a job for your career advancement, I should say, in 10 minutes in an interview than you can probably yeah. do in 10 years on the job. Oh, if yeah. There's a, a strange system. So, so obviously, they've realized that they need you uh, more than you need them. And now you're in the system as a case manager. So does this mean that mm-hmm. you're now dealing with individuals? individual prisoners and working on how you're going to get them ready to to go back to society? Mm -hmm. So I would have they I would have like two units sometimes, which means at that time, that was when we were like really crowded and they would put me on different caseloads to clean them up and I would go clean them up. But there would be maybe like 150 on each caseload. 150 to 200 on each caseload. And I would, when they came in, you know, we have to, what what you call team them, which means you go through their pre-sentence report. You have to make recommendations of what programs to do while they're in prison, um, where they're going to release to, if they're going to go to halfway houses, if they have warrants, how to start clearing them up. So I would work with the courts and with the inmates, um, just a a lot of casework. And we meet with them every three months or six months, depending how long their sentence is. Um, If they're violent offenders, there's other paperwork we have to do. Uh, Just a one-on-one thing with the inmates. So that, that I really like that job because you, well, I, I would know them like totally individually. I, you know, Hey, what's going on with your kids kind of thing. And Mm. the inmates always had kids. So there was always child custody things going on. And, you know, we would have to call them in and tell them, you know, Hey, we just got notification. Your kid was molested by, you know, the guardian. And it's like these poor kids. And, that kind of stuff was the bad part notifying them that their family member died and you know it's like that happens you know people life goes on out there when you're here you know sorry but it's a collateral consequence 
Oh, so in, in, indeed, and in many ways, you are a custodian of that that inmate's mm-hmm. uh, hope, uh, the the idea that you can get them back into society, reunite them with their children, let them start building their lives again. So there's an enormous amount of responsibility on your shoulders in that regard. Um, Tess, we're yeah. going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll, we're going to go a little bit further because this story involves uh, quite a significant plot twist. Uh, it's very disturbing, and Tess is going to be able to explain what has happened and, of course, what happened to her in the process. And you can see from the outset that Tess appears, obviously, to be dedicated to uh, people in a very, very difficult situation. And we're always reminded, of course, how it is that we must always try and create a better society rather than a worse one. And, of course, these crimes do not compare to some of the horrific things that we're talking about, as 95% of prisoners do return to society. So it's not just what we see in the horrible films that are made that uh, obviously sensationalise the subject. In the meantime, if you missed your favourite TNT, show or interview. You can simply listen or watch it now when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT Radio website or on rumble.com, bitshoot.com or even brighteon.com. We're also on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart and TuneIn. Now, there's no reason to miss out on anything on today's news talk, TNT. TNT's James Freeman. Now, at the moment, um, the WHO operates in an advisory capacity globally. But all of that will change if amendments to the international health regulations go through, combined with the ratification of a new global pandemic accord. Um, It started off being called as a treaty, but they thought that would frighten everyone. Um, So they now called it a pandemic accord, but it is an international treaty. And if it goes through, it will give the WHO legal powers over all of its members. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour is Tess Korth, who spent 25 years in the corrections business industry and has worked at FCI Dublin. It's been the subject of some horrible stories that we're going to get into in a moment, part of which was called Rape Club by 60 Minutes a short time ago. Tess, when you're in this case management situation, how do you feel when, after all the work that you've done, that a 
inmate finally gets a release date and can be returned to her family and to her children. Is that as satisfying as it sounds? It is. It is. Um, when they're there, of course, everybody, they all say, you know, I'm never coming back here. You know, this is it. This is the last time. And I see quite a few come back and it's like, I thought you said you were never coming back. And, um, but I know quite a few, especially since all this stuff hit the news and they see me in interviews, I'll get emails or things on Facebook and they'll say, Miss Corey, do you remember me? And and I do remember most of my, I remember a lot of my inmates and they'll tell me about what they're doing now. And so a lot of them have made big changes and, you know, they are having successful lives and stuff. And it's like, that's so great. You know, you know, you hear the corny thing, if I could just change one person's life, I know I, it wasn't me, but you know, at least they did change, you know, change around and, and didn't come back or didn't go back on drugs. You know, they did learn something when they're there. And one of my former inmates who actually we keep in touch, she I can say it was one of my programs that I brought in um, and then I got in trouble for it, <laughs> but I don't, I don't care about all that. And I never did there. I'm like, um, she, we brought in like this shark tank kind of thing. And like all these like Silicon Valley executives and stuff came in and did training and stuff after she got out she stayed off drugs all that um google or microsoft one of those companies hired her and in a, a good position like a higher position and then they found out oh sorry my hr a month later said oh she's got a felony and they're like yeah well we know she had a felony and well we can't keep her so they fired her well she went to the city that 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 uh, the company is in and she fought them and they changed they reversed that entire hiring practice so it's not on the books anymore in that city or in, in maybe in that county and now she's like really high up in uh, Google and Microsoft, they work in partnerships and she goes to different prisons and she's like really high up in the, in making one of her own apps for uh, re-entry stuff. I mean, she's like loaded money, but she's really big into reform and all that. And she's like on TED Talks, she's on the internet, she's in TV interviews. And it's like, wow. And she said she got all that from that program that I brought in because that's where she met her mentor that she that connected with when she got out. The lady said, when you get out, call me and we will figure out your employment. And then the mentor connected her with the Silicon Valley stuff. And it's like, holy cow, you did do that. And she's got celebrities and stuff. I'm like, oh, can you hire me? <laughs> so 
Isn't that, isn't that just that's... a wonderful, wonderful testimony to yeah, yeah. the fact that you can make a difference and not only can you oh, get yeah. back into yeah. society but you can reach your goals and dreams mm-hmm. and, uh, and and go far and away. So even in adversity, in your weakness, you can turn that into your strength. This is a, a oh, yeah. wonderful, wonderful story and, and hopefully there will be many, many more like them. But unfortunately oh. in the prison system, things go the other way. Before we get into the detail of what came out, this horrific story, can you just explain the difference between men's and women's prisons in terms of level of security. Is there such a thing as maximum security for women, for example? There's one facility, Carswell. It's a medical facility and they have a unit which is a lockdown unit. I think it only houses like maybe eight or 10 or not very many. And that's considered maximum. And I don't even know if they use it anymore because they really frown on locking inmates up now, especially females. So at, when I worked there at that time, that was the only maximum security female area. Uh, everything else, females, you know, because they're treated differently. Uh, it's like so old fashioned females, they think are all so gentle and sweet and all that. They only give them low security. So low security facilities don't have towers like gun towers and like the outside barriers and that kind of thing. It's um, if you walked in, you would think it was kind of like a college campus. They have at one time they had keys for their rooms, but we took that away from them. So there's like two people to each room and um I mean, it looks like a college campus. So every female is thrown into that. So we had murderers in there, terrorists, drug cartel. We had, um, my God, I just forgot his name. The the drug guy from Mexico, the, the notorious guy, his lieutenant and his wife were in my unit. Wow. We're talking we about had, El, presumably El Chapo? Yes, him. Yeah, wow. Yes, him. So, I mean, we, and actually we had the old guy, the one, that original old guy, his wife, Criselda, was was in my unit. Um, The one that tried to kill a president was there. Uh, The Tylenol killer is there. The, I mean, we had like high profile people there. And, and then you have the people that, are in there for stupid stuff like like the little white collar things that get actually the sad thing is they get more time than a violent offender and it's like what Mm. if it involves money apparently it means more than somebody's life or you know but everything is thrown together for females and then there is minimum security which is our camp so the camp has no fences. They can go in and out. They can walk, um, you know, they can walk out past the parking lot, around the track. Some of them work on the military base so they can walk off the camp, you know, off the campus. And um, those are the two type of securities they have. 
So, so it's very clear that the system is providing opportunity for the women to, to to kind of get back into society without feeling like that they've um, been overburdened or um, restricted and punished. It's more about, as the title says, correctional, uh, and that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Now, the only problem that we have in this system is that if the system falters or breaks for whatever reason, and sadly it's corruption and opportunity, this is when the whole thing turns on its head. So we learn from 60 Minutes about a term used at FCI Dublin called rape club. Can you tell us what happened? How did this happen and how was it discovered and what was your role in all of this? Actually, none of us ever heard that term before. When it was in the paper, we're like, what? Mm. But um, for years... When I first started, there were like, you know, a few people, a few staff members that were rumored to be messing around with with inmates and stuff. And, you know, I was told, oh, don't go around him. You know, he's he's doing stuff with inmates. And after very long investigations, which always took very long, I don't know why it took so long, they would be quietly walked out. They would, you know, be walked off the institution and lose their job. And then they changed the the thing where they actually would be prosecuted. So, but this didn't happen very often. Um, And then a new a new kind of a new kind of staff started coming in and i don't want to i don't want to like stereotype or talk bad about the veterans but for a long time we had a hiring freeze i think it was i think it was when obama was there or something we couldn't hire anybody and then Trump came in and said, you can hire veterans. You only are allowed to hire veterans. And so there was a big influx of veterans straight out from the war. I mean, they were still enlisted. You can hire enlisted veterans, anything, military. And so we got the BOP got tons of veterans. And so we got some and then we have penitentiaries, which are like high security men prisons. And so the penitentiaries got them. Well, I guess a lot of them couldn't handle the penitentiaries. So they decided, huh, I'm gonna go to Dublin. And so we had a lot of people transfer to Dublin. And that's when all this stuff started happening at Dublin. They, they were disrespectful to the inmates, you know, called them. Can I swear? Can no. I swear? Or... <laughs> you can <laughs> well, maybe, maybe indicate what you're going to say, but we try okay. and make it to the Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a prison person. Usually every other word is a swear word. But they started, you know, calling them B words, uh, H word. The, they would just degrade them. Mm. But, I mean, they would do it out in the open in front of our administration and nobody would do anything about it. It's like, are, are you kidding me? Mm. And so I would say stuff to them, like, what are you doing? And I had no problem saying stuff to our administrations. Like, are you just not, are you hearing this? 
and they would go into inmate rooms and tear them up and and for no reason because they thought the inmate was cute and then the female officers that like those officers would go and tear up the rooms again because my boyfriend likes you and and start you know calling that inmate names and stuff it's like what is going on here mm. and so i would report all this stuff and and then we would get these nasty ones that you just like the chaplain he worked like right next to me and from the first day he worked i told his boss because we all worked in the same building i said you got to talk to him there he is going to be compromised and i told him I said, what you're doing, you need to stop because those inmates are going to manipulate you. You got to stop. Oh, I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. And I reported him a few weeks later because he was hanging out with the inmates and just, you know, had his leg up on the table with them. And I'm like, um, mm -mm. and of course, these are all like red flags that we are trained to catch and so i report them you know i do exactly what they train us to do they train mm -hmm. us when we start they train us every year they train us for all this stuff but then when we follow what they're training us to do they are like they don't follow up on it they don't want to hear it they don't they're like uh-uh and so in the end of all of this this big mess Every single person that I had reported to them ended up getting prosecuted. The other one, the worst one, is being prosecuted right now. So I can't even talk about him all that much. But he was the worst one. And, but all of them, they're like, I'm like, why couldn't you have done anything years ago when I was reporting them? And all these other inmates wouldn't have been abused. You know, you're, you guys are just enabling and you're just as bad as them because you allowed all these other inmates to be abused and whether they were consenting to it there's no consensual sex in prison that's another thing that you teach us we are here to protect them they have like 90 percent of them are sexually molested or abused when they were kids this is how they use their bodies. They don't, that, you know, female inmates are different. They are different. They're damaged like that when it comes to the sexual, you know, sexual part. So, you know, they, and they still, they don't care. You know, they still don't care. They, there's no changes that were made. The place is still, I hear it still, it's actually worse. And, you know, they just, it's just terrible, just terrible. It, it, you can't imagine uh, any, anything worse than an abuse of power.
in any circumstance. Mm -hmm. But here, when you have an absolute obvious uh, situation where you have officer and inmate and that abusive mm -hmm. structure on, on females that are already damaged, as you've explained, it has to be a betrayal of trust that is, is, is excruciating. And you mentioned, of course, this particular chaplain, who it's my understanding has been convicted. Um, oh, yeah. And, and again, th th this breach of trust, and there is, there's a number of, of people in, involved here. Um, we're going to take a quick break, Tess, and when we come back, we're going to get into a bit more of the detail and how it was that uh, you suffered the retaliation uh, for being one of these people that uh, wants to uh, simply just perform your role and, and adopt the training that, that's going on here in a system that clearly is broken. We're going to take that break and we'll be back with more here on Weekends with Jason Olborn on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. You all know Dr. Jill Biden. Of course, she's the first lady. Here she is humiliating herself while talking to Hispanic Americans. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> so say it with me. See, say Broadway. The future is ours. A brain surgeon, apparently she's not. But she is a very selfish woman. She's the reason, I believe, that Joe Biden is being pressured to run for another term. Obviously, he can't handle it. I think she's selfish, and I'm not alone in thinking that. Kennedy of Fox News recently said the same thing. But Dr. Jill has gotten so addicted to the glitz mm -hmm. and the free dresses. And maybe they're not free. Yeah. They're very expensive dresses. Yeah. Uh, but the spotlights, the state dinners, mm -hmm. the private jet. I know it's Air Force One. Yeah. But, you know, the, the yeah, filthy, dirty people who fly southwest, they're not on Air Force One. <laughs> She's got a house full of servants. Uh-huh. They cater to her whims. It's called elderly abuse. And I find Dr. Jill Biden guilty. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Discussing local, national, and international issues. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. It's one thing to be convicted of a crime and sent to prison to go through correction and work on ways to return to society where 95% of prisoners, even in the United States, will always be returned to society. It's another to be inside a system with nowhere to go and not to be believed because you are a convicted felon to find out that people who are put in positions of trust sexually abuse the inmates. Tess, how many men can you recall that were working in the prison system who have already been convicted out of their crimes against these women at FCI Dublin? I want to say seven. Seven have been convicted Goodness in me, yeah. like the last year, including the warden. And yeah. one is going through it 
now. He's going to be prosecuted. Now, what was the reaction amongst other staff when these um, when these people started to be arrested and charged? Was there a feeling of shock or was it more of, yeah, that's about time? Uh, they, well, the good staff, the, the staff that had what they're called homesteaders, the ones that have worked there forever like me, none of it was us. It was not us. It was all the ones that came in. So we were all like, like down you know we were mad we were like it's we were like it's about time it's about time somebody did something and but we were also like you know here we go they're calling you know they're talking about it they're making it look like all of us are garbage um we were embarrassed to say where we work all that kind of stuff and it's still like that now um, people that I still talk to a lot of people there and they say it's just horrible. The morale is just like down. Mm. Um, they hate working there. It, it's just embarrassing. You know, it's yeah, always okay. going to have that title. It's, it's horrible, isn't it? It's been tarred yeah. uh, for, for life. It's almost like they need to close it down, relocate it, and move yeah. on. Is there a culture yeah. of is there a culture of cover up in the system that allowed this yeah. to go on for this for oh, so long? Oh yes, oh yeah, yes. They yeah. cover up everything. Yeah. Do you do you think it's covered up because of the shame and embarrassment that it could bring? Some no, they just don't want to get sued. They don't want to get sued. They don't want to get uh out in the public they don't want to get they just they're just uh i saw a lot of what the bop was um that i never thought it was i i was always like real loyal to them up until they turned against me and i just saw a whole nother side of them and the way they treated me i thought wow just imagine the way they treat the inmates, you know, giving me the runaround, uh, turning on me, saying how I was being transferred because I was not a good employee. And, you know, once he, they transferred managers across the country and stuff, the headline was they, they transferred the problems. So all is well at Dublin. And it's like, so we were all tainted as if we were the ones that were doing things. And the only good thing is, you know, I took them to court and I represented myself. So I got to, you know, cross-examine the actual, like the regional director and the guy that the deputy director and my boss, and those were the ones that retaliated against me. And I got to do some dig some embarrassing stuff up on them and and one of them did admit that they just transferred everybody because they needed to get out of the spotlight and we were just caught in the net so it was like oh okay thank you that's on record thanks <laughs> you know and they were the ones that looked really really incompetent and stupid when when i was questioning them. So it's all on the transcript now.
It's, it's an incre- absolutely incredible story, isn't it? And uh, and and the way mm-hmm. that you have to represent yourself in in this particular situation, and the mm-hmm. truth seems to come out fairly quickly. That must have been um, very satisfying for you to yeah. to be able yeah. to turn it back. Because isn't it interesting in the, in this world of you know whistleblowers, um, those that uh, seek to um, to break the circle of lies and bring the truth to the surface are punished mm-hmm. for not going through the process. But when the process is corrupted. When it's broken, what other choice have you got other to, than to break the chain of command and bring truth to the surface where it can at long last be dealt with? It just seems that authority is never the truth. Truth is the only authority, which is exactly how you've gone about it. How do you go about now, therefore, in the system? What made you stay in it and continue? Because that is a huge amount of dedication to to, to service that many would have wanted to run for their lives. Oh, no, I retired. When they tried transferring me, okay. um, when they tried transferring me, uh, they gave me six weeks to transfer to a different state. You know, I was supposed to pick mm. up my family and move, and I had six weeks to do it, or I would be disciplined up to termination. And well, I knew they were going to try to fire me, and I said, no. I said a lot of things to them, but <laughs> I'm not going to say it here. And I said, well, then I'm going to retire. So, sorry, Nuh-uh. you're not moving me. And um, so I work in the California state prisons now as a contractor doing something completely different. So that they have... They're like the complete opposite of the federal prisons. So it's interesting to see them. Um, but yeah, I didn't stay with them. So no, that, that I makes couldn't. that makes sense. It's it's almost unbearable, but yet you still stay in, in, in the correctional industry as such. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. now on the 60 Minutes report, they introduced us to the sixth new director of prisons in oh. six years, Colette um Peters, I think her name was. And she was hardly mm-hmm. convincing. She seemed to be more of a politician than than a leader. Mm-hmm. What what was your take when you saw that? Was that just uh, symptomatic of of what the problems really are? That she didn't even know yeah. how much the staff shortfall was. Yeah. And this other fellow gets on yeah. and says, "We're eight thousand staff short." How could you be yeah. so ignorant? Because she's dumb. She's a politician. I, we just call her Mary Poppins. She. If you've ever watched any of the congressional hearings that she's gone to, the the senators will ask her, you know, how many inmates are there? Basic questions. And I can't answer that question at this time. I don't have the, the numbers. It's like, do you work in the Bureau of Prisons? I mean, I could tell you that information. How many institutions do you have? I don't have that. And then at the I can have that at the next hearing. At the next hearing, she doesn't have it. And she doesn't have any information that they're asking for that. And the senators are like, do you plan on having the information from the last hearing? She's like, I don't know at this time. It's like, are you for real? Are you for real? And she doesn't answer any questions. There was just an article out yesterday about about the attorney general's uh, report on how bad they're failing they're with inmate suicides and deaths. And they asked her, what do you think about that? And her answer was, anytime a, an inmate dies, it's tragic. That was it. It's like, yeah, you're so stupid. 
<laughs> you she, are so stupid. She was asked, I think, at least twice, if not three times in that interview, if if the inmates deserved an apology for yeah. the sexual abuses, and she refused outright. She was not mm-hmm. apologising. Mm-hmm. What would make her behave in such a way? Is she just covering her tracks again down the, the idea they don't want to be sued? Yes, that's it. If she said, we're sorry, that means they're they're admitting that they did something wrong. But it's kind of obvious that the system has failed these these, these women. Mm-hmm. I mean, goodness me, when a chaplain is convicted of sexually assaulting an inmate, I mean, that's that's the the end game at that point. These, these, these women are going through enough already. How are they expected mm-hmm. to go back to society and reintegrate uh, into their lives and, and, and support their children if you have to deal with this? I mean, this is getting into the idea of recidivism, the, 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 the you know returning on. I mean, out of those women that were um, that were abused, therefore, what would be the expectation that they are going to reoffend and get back into the system? They, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it depends on how they take it. I'm sure that they've all been you know, sexually assaulted before. So it depends on what therapy or how they, how mentally affected they were by it. I mean, I sat in, and they'll never, the BOP is never going to take responsibility for anything. I sat through the warden's, his entire trial. And, you know, at first his defense was, they're convicts. Who are you going to believe? Uh, uh, you know, however many years he was in it, um, esteemed correctional administrator who's you know done this, or convicted felons. And the jury said that was when they were like, "Huh, what?" <laughs> it's like, and when he said that, I just went, "Oh my god!" When the defense guy said that, I'm like. Wow, you're guilty. If that's the best you could come up with, that's what all the piece of craps at work do, you know, when they're acting like idiots and stuff. That's what they always say. Who's going to believe you? You're just a a convict. So it's like that is truly the statement of a guilty person. So oh, indeed, and of course, he ends up being convicted, and and, and so mm-hmm. um, the, the rest is therefore history. Um, I'm just looking at the time; we've only got a handful, about five minutes or so left. Um, okay, Tess, how is it um, that with this life and with what's gone against you, uh, how do you manage to keep a work life balance and and, and be a um, well a good mum and and wife, presumably in, in the normal part of society? Do you take this this pressure home with you, or can you leave it at the door? Well, when that stuff was going on, it affected my home life. I mean, it it literally was making me sick, you know, headaches, and I just was feeling sick. But now I just think of it as a job. Mm. The bad thing is there's a long commute. It's a long commute. So when I come home, I'm like, I'm going to bed. Bedtime is 7 o'clock. So I miss a lot because... I'm exhausted, not from the job, but from the drive. Um, But, you know, because I'm retired, I have that whole, I don't care attitude, you know, at work. So 
I don't, it really doesn't affect me at home, you know. I I can see people and I'll tell my kids, I'll be like, that's an inmate right there. When we're out in public, you know, by the way they walk or something or mm. so that I do that. But, you know, other than that, it's not no big deal. Would you ever encourage any of your family or loved ones or friends to join the correctional system? No, never. Uh-uh. Mm. No. And if, you, and if you had your time over again, do you think you may have chosen a different career path? Mm, maybe. Maybe. But, but still, with all the scars that you hold, you'd still uh, you still stick to the system. It's it, it goes towards integrity and determination and strength of character. If you had your time in Colette Peter's chair and maybe you were the director is there anything that you might change immediately that would improve the uh the system for the inmates of, of which the system is actually meant to serve it's you know it's more the sentencing you know I, I would like to say i would go through and balance out the sentencing and let a lot of the people go that don't need to be there Yes. And then close a lot of the prisons and and then centralize, you know, condense them and stuff. And there would be no staff shortage because the ones that close, the staff will be there. They got prisons all over the place that are not needed. And then they the officers complain about, well, it really is. You know, we were correctional officers all the time and we still had to do our regular jobs. Um but, you know, they want, we need to do hiring. We need to have more money, blah, blah, blah. No, they need to close some prisons, let some inmates out, make those staff go to other prisons, and you're fine. They just don't know how to manage. They need to learn how to manage. It's a very interesting perspective because no one ever talks about uh, that we need less uh, prisons and less prisoners. In, in the United States, there's approximately one and a quarter million prisoners. Almost three and a half percent of the entire population of the US is incarcerated. And that is just an extraordinary figure. I don't think there'd be any place uh -huh. in the world as bad to, to by comparison. Because it's this, money. It, it, money, this is money, the private, money. This is the private yeah. system, right? Well, here in Australia, for comparison, we're a country of approximately 26 and a half million people. We have a prison population of 41 or 42,000, which represents 1.5% of the population, which still seems quite high when you think of it. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's not like that, you know, the American system of justice is better than the system of justice here in Australia. It just seems that uh, it's, it's a very different process. Um, if you just off the top of your head, if you were to say how many prisoners you would let go because they don't need to be, there is it a significant amount would it be 10 percent? would it be 30 percent of the population oh, that God, should be I, don't I don't know but i mean there how much time we have and i can tell you about an example we've only got about a minute to go oh that's not enough time <laughs> but i mean i mean i've seen inmates that it's their first time and they'll get 30 years for something it's like mm. why did you get 30 years and then i'll see somebody that it's come back 10 times for a violent offense and she's gotten five years so i mean it, it makes no sense and and she's going to a camp the violent offender is going to a camp and this one is trying to go to a camp but she won't because she got 30 years yeah. so stupid stuff like that it's just you know just stupid stuff 
it's very, very sad, isn't it, that the system mm -hmm. that obviously seems broken on the surface is certainly broken underneath and uh, we don't seem to have anyone willing to get involved in it to give it the reform that it needs. It takes people, Tess, like yourself and like David Shipley, who was on this program only a couple of weeks ago, a former prisoner himself in the UK who's become an advocate for prison reform, pointing out the glaring uh, obvious uh, errors in the system. And I can only say thank you so much for your time and wearing your heart thank on your you. sleeve and you ought to be very very proud of the work that you've done and any single life that you change for the better test is a major major contribution back to society oh, and i'm sure that you. your family is, is very proud of the work that you do it was a delight to have you on the show you did extremely well uh nervous oh, that, it might, thank you. that it might that it might be difficult and i'm delighted to have had your company on on the show today we're going to take news break and uh when we come back a brand new guest on the show dr john mcswinney will be joining us uh we'll take that now you're watching and listening to Weekends here on TNT with me, Jason Olborn.